In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 297. That's right. Closer and closer and closer to episode 300. But we figured it wasn't enough to give you only big content for episode 300. So we decided to put something together for you guys a little bit special and kind of just drop it on you because nobody expects it on 297, right? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a, it's not a it's it's not a, a a new thing for the Lantern Cast because we have spoken with both of these guys before. This is the first time, however, we got them on mic together. Mark and I were able to contact both Ron Mars and Daryl Banks to come on the show with us and talk about their run on Green Lantern. Now, we've spoken with them both individually before, but the reason we brought them on is because as this episode drops tomorrow, tomorrow, that is October 4th, tomorrow... I'm driving this point home super hard. I, I think people are going to get that. Tomorrow, you think it's, tomorrow, you think it's it will drop tomorrow. Mark, when is it dropping? It drops tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, the first volume of the newly reprinted run of Ron Mars and Daryl Banks' run on the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern series will be in stores tomorrow so we wanted to have both of the guys on to talk about their run in a way that will help promote the upcoming release of this new trade paperback and mark it's like green lantern kyle rayner right is that what they're they're titling it green lantern kyle rayner volume one and and, that's right and volume two is solicited at least on amazon already (laughs) that's correct and uh, we'll have some information about that at the end of the show but what we'll do is we took, we took time, we, we pulled them up on the mic, they both agreed to do this, I mean, relatively quickly. Uh, they had both posted, you know, DC Comics sends out copies uh, of content to creators so that they can sell it themselves or have it for their own personal library, and both Daryl and Ron received their packages containing several copies of this new trade paperback in the boxes. And... They both posted photos of themselves holding it on social media. 
I don't know about you, Mark, but this is the first time when I saw those pictures, that was the first time I knew this trade was coming out. I think I remembered it being solicited somewhere down the road, maybe in the previews or something, but I did completely but if I did, I certainly lost track of how you know, how close we were to it actually coming out. So it did it did it did I was surprised just for that for that reason when I when I did see them holding it up. It's like, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's been quite a while since the Kyle Rayner run was reprinted, uh, and we talk about all of that in this interview, so de- make sure to uh, take a listen. You know, actually, you know, now that I think about it, I remember Michael Bailey saying something about it during Emerald Dawn. He yeah, was talking I about right. – I think so. But it just kind of – it was toward the end of our conversation about Emerald Dawn. We were wrapping up the episode, so it kind of went over my head. Um, but, yeah, um, both Ron and Daryl – Really quickly, I, I got on this. I, I contacted Mark. I was like, hey, what do you think? We sh- should we do this? And he was down for the idea. And all we had to do was get Ron and, and Daryl on board. And not both surprisingly and not surprisingly, both of them were immediately in for it and were able to get it done pretty quickly. So we got them both on mic at the same time. And we're going to present that audio to you now. So enjoy. <laughs> Take it away, us. <laughs> <laughs> Transition effects. <laughs> All right, guys. We have both Ron Mars and Daryl Banks on the phone at the same time. Uh, no idea what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> the, I hear when these two get together, it's a great time. You guys always sit together at cons, so uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure we're uh, we're good to go. So uh, no, no uh, yeah, pressure guys, or anything, Chad. Yeah. No, no pressure no. on you whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. At the top <laughs> of your game or anything. <laughs> it's my signature move. <laughs> Subtlety. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so welcome back to the show, guys. You guys have been on uh, both before, but welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be cool. here. Thanks for yeah, absolutely. So, uh, guys, uh, as we mentioned before, we're here to talk about the uh, the, the Kyle Rayner run, most specifically um, the issues that will be printed in uh, the Kyle Rayner run that's going to be in a trade paperback version available as you hear this, or at least the day it releases. It'll be available tomorrow from dc that's october 4th so if you're listening to this on the day it comes out head out to your lcs that's your local comic shop for those of you who are new (laughs) to to the comic book game (laughs) so head out to your lcs and make sure you ask them for this book uh guys does it have a special title is it just green lantern kyle rayner volume one i I, I think the special title is volume one yeah all right so yeah make sure you ask for it uh if you don't have an lcs near you Amazon or whatever. It's available all over the place. Um, and, and Amazon sells books. Chad wants to tell you that, too. Yeah, Chad, sorry. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You can order you got stuff my back. on Amazon. Like else. <laughs> you got my back, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so we, one of the things we wanted to do was, was kind of kick it off. Um, I was speaking with, with, with Daryl earlier. It's been, what, 10, 15 years since... Y'all's run was available in a trade paperback form. Has it been that long? Uh, hmm. I, I know Boy, they've I, used honestly, this cover I mean, before. 
I don't even know. It's you know because it was there was a you know sort of sporadic reprintings a while ago, but um, you know now most publishers have a real you know reprints are just a part of the overall publishing strategy, um, and there are you know sort of regular benchmarks for for getting this stuff back into print, and it I guess it finally you know rolled around to be our turn. Really, I didn't. I you know the, the benchmarks I didn't know because. Just based on solicits, DC has been putting out like a new Silver Age omnibus, like in, in a new format, like every other year, uh, without completing the original run. Which, <laughs> whatever. But, but uh, I, you know, I they've been re 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 reprinting the Silver Age for a while, and of course they have their their hardcovers and trades for the current the current series. But it's been a, it's been quite a while since I've seen a a Kyle Rayner run trade paperback. On the shelves. I mean, it's. I think they're all out of print currently. Um, they, yeah, I mean, they probably are, and they probably let them go out of print because they knew they were gonna, you know, start start this series. And um, obviously, the you know, the last thing you want to be doing as a as a publisher is you know competing with your own books. Right. For sure. Uh, one of the things we we're gonna ask, uh, Mark, you want to go over what's uh, included in this uh, in this trade paperback? Sure. Specifically, so we know what we're talking about. Yes. So volume one, Kyle Rayner, and I guess we will again mention volume two probably. Uh, surprise! Spoiler alert. Uh, so this will include <laughs> Green Lantern 51 to through 60, Rebels 94 number one. That was the title, uh, Rebels 94, and New Titans number 116. That is the rundown for the this first volume. Yeah, we wanted to ask you guys about the about those crossovers actually to kind of kick things off. How involved were you with the with those at all, or did DC just say, "Hey, your character's going to be coming over here. We need you to work with these guys"? Or how did that all work at the time? Because it seems like nowadays crossovers are like a little bit bigger of a deal or more editorial mandated kind of a thing. So how did it work back then with you guys? Um, you know, it's not, it was not all that different than the way it goes. Now I think that, you know, the crossovers are just more expansive now and sort of never ending. But, um, yeah, I think the ones that are specifically in this book are, you know, are included in there because, we told a portion of a story in our Green Lantern issue, and the the rest of that story is um, is in another issue somewhere, so it gets included, uh, so that you have some some overall sense of where where the storyline's going. Um, as I as I recall, fairly early on in the book, they they asked us to you know to cross over with with different you know with different titles in the in the line at that point because. You know, frankly, we were selling a lot of copies, so the books that the books that sell well end up a lot of times trying to raise the level of the books that aren't selling selling as well. So, you know, I, I think we were out selling Titans and um, you know whatever else is you know Rebels or whatever else is included in this and, and the next volume. Um, so a lot of you know a lot of times we ended up being the lead dog on a on a crossover because you know the the hope is that that everybody that buys in this case Green Lantern would pick up those issues as well and and boost the sales on um on those. So, you know, it's just crossovers are part and parcel of working in a shared universe and they're you know, I, I think they're more ubiquitous now than they than they even used to be, but 
it's you know it's a tried and true sales tactic and, and and frankly they're kind of fun because you get to you know as a creator you get to play with you get to play with somebody else's toys for a little while good analogy <laughs> <laughs> said the toy collector <laughs> well just uh, along those lines just before we, we move on to the next thing i was going to ask since you're playing around with other people's toys daryl what's that like for you you know right you know you get a chance to remember you were telling us that one of the things you always wanted to draw was galactus when you finally got that chance, it was there. So what was it like for you drawing these characters that are in the DCU, but not necessarily something you would normally have a chance to do? Ron, tell them how much I bugged you about shoehorning that Galactus, uh, the origin double spread in there. Tell, tell them how I, how I, I literally, you know, please, 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 please. I think you pretty much said you weren't going to draw it unless I did it, so... <laughs> And that's, and that's and that's obviously like comic book writer one on one is keep your artist happy, uh, you know, because ultimately your you know your stories are only as good as the as the person drawing it. So um, you know if you keep the artist happy, everything works out. Everything works out for the best. That made me very happy. <laughs> that's good. Well, Gal- Galactus makes some people happy. It's very. Good. I'm glad you're one of them. I like Galactus too. I'm but. Uh, <laughs> I had a quick, uh, quick question when, which I found interesting when I saw again the, what the makeup of this first volume was. Was it any? Did it surprise? Was it any surprise at all? Maybe to you guys, some of the issues maybe that weren't included in this, like to me, Green Lantern Zero not being in this kind of surprised me. Uh, um, what was the time frame for that? Was was that even during? It should have Had been. It happened yet? Yeah, it should have been because the uh, zero hour. I think this wasn't this, the zero hour issue with Alan Scott. I thought it was number fifty five ish, I believe. So the zero, so it was zero hour. Yeah, because because they cut off at sixty, so that's right. That's knocking on the door of Parallax View. So yeah, zero hour. Green Lantern Zero had already had come out. So I was just kind. Of, to me, that just kind of surprises me. Not just because I one because I love that issue so much, but it kind of seems like it's almost. I got like a quintessential or defining issue during that era, so I kind of. Well, Greenlander Zero is in here. Is it? Yeah. Even though it's is, is it? It's not listed in the solicit, though, is it? Is it? Well, it's it, it isn't. Greenlander Zero is is in here though. Oh, cool. Well, that's good. <laughs> that is good. It sounds like yeah. Daryl's got the book on his desk, so we're gonna have to take a word for it. I have it right here, nice. and I kept thinking. That I, I'm almost positive because it would be weird because they, the the uh, the back cover uh, of the book is from that issue. I thought, let me flip through here because that would be weird to have a splash page from the book and it's not in here. But but it is in fact in here. Green Lantern Zero is included. So it's unfortunate yeah. they didn't bother listing it. <laughs> well, that's well, yeah, that's good because at least at least it means that you don't leave off at a point where Alan shows up in Kyle's apartment and then that's it. <laughs> Well, there's a there's a credit uh, uh, maybe problem where on the credits page it has uh, Romeo listed as the anchor for the cover, and it clearly has my signature and Terry Austin's signature. So it's like, uh, no, it, Romeo did the inside covers if, if that's what they're going by, but the actual cover itself, no, that was you know that was Terry Austin and myself. So it might need to. Yeah, it's, look it's, there's into a that. there's a couple of there's a couple of. Um, Credit snafus. There, there's a, there's a Jeff Johnson cover that's actually credited to Dave Johnson too. So, um, you know, but but who among us hasn't mixed up our Johnsons? So. 
But I'm both. Ah, podcasting gold. Uh, <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> that'll you, be our clo- that'll be our closing tagline. Anytime you know, right after the credits, we'll just stick it at the very end. Someone's like, "Wait, there's five more minutes left in this podcast." What's le-? and then Ron says, "Who among us hasn't mixed up with Johnson?" Uh, pull quote. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask: this is this is the beginning of y'all's run. Uh, and not only is it the beginning of, of a new comic run for you guys, it's a new character. So I kind of want to ask two, a twofold question. One, how long do you guys thought think it took you to kind of hit your stride? And the other kind of part of that with it being a new run is kind of ha- how much thought goes into do we start this new character off you know, by really immersing him in the DCU, like setting him up with established villains that we've seen before just to kind of get his feet wet? Or do we go the other route and say, hey, we're going to create his own kind of rogues gallery to say this is something completely new? Like what what inspires you to take what route? Um, you know, I don't know, because I think I think because we basically made up Kyle and there was no, um, you know, there was no roadmap for him. There was no, you know, there was no framework for us to, to work with him. We were just kind of making up everything as we go. I don't know that it was a, it was a question of, of getting comfortable as much as it is, um, figuring out the character that we were, the, you know, that we were writing and drawing. Um, and and figuring out and fleshing out the the character that we were writing and drawing. Um. So I I think for I think for me I got the book started to feel like mine when we actually moved him to New York, um, which I know is in is in this trade. I'm not I don't quite remember what issue it was, but um, and I really wanted to get him to a new location and to, you know, to what I considered a real location rather than, um, you know, D- DC has a great tradition of, of all of these made up cities, um, Metropolis and Gotham and, uh, star city and all the different, you know, all the different locations that in the DCU coast city, obviously, um, that are, that are, that are analogous to real U S cities, but aren't, aren't specifically uh, real locations. I wanted, I wanted us to have a book that felt like it was taking place in a real location. Um, and I very much wanted uh, to sort of capture the, the New York city that, um, that Titans uh, takes place in, uh-huh. uh, or certainly took place in during the, you know, the sort of the classic Wolfman Perez era. Uh, and certainly, you know, the, it was, also part of my thinking that you know to me marvel books always felt more a little more real than dc books because of the locations and i wanted our book to feel as real as possible so i felt like let's you know let's move this guy to new york because that's a you know it's a classic comic book setting and certainly we were we were um uh we were taking um uh, we were taking our cues, or at least I was taking some of my cues from the kind of Spider-Man books I read as a kid. So uh, moving him to New York seemed like a logical choice to me. How about you, Daryl? I like the fact that 
by him being in New York, it was like Ron said, you know, I grew up on, I mean, I like some DC, but I grew up on Marvel comics. So having him in New York City, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this is where Spider-Man lives, even though obviously Spider-Man wasn't going to show up. But having him there and also, you know, with the idea that at some point I'm going to be drawing actual landmarks, because, you know, keep in mind, I grew grew up, you know, still here in Columbus, Ohio. It was like, you know, maybe if I draw New York, I'll end up being able to visit it, (laughs) which I did. So it's almost like something that I drew got there before me. (laughs) But having that... uh, but by grounding him in a in a real place, it uh, I think he got to. I, you know, let's say people like for example, I remember uh, when I was at Heroes, I was sitting next to Daryl McDaniel's, aka DMC, and I would listen to some of his interviews as as he's given them, and he would say he he enjoyed Marvel comics growing up because you know growing up in New York, it's as if you know he could look out his window and imagine what it would be like to see a Marvel character. So having this fictitious character in a real place, it kind of added that little added dimension, I felt. Do you feel like you you hit your stride with, with Ron at the same time he gets into New York? Or do you feel like you guys kind of mesh together pretty well already early on? I, I mean, just, you know, keep in mind, you know, coming from the independents, I was just glad working for DC, it could have been... <laughs> On Red Tornado, I don't, I don't, I didn't care. You know, it's like you my know, uncle Red Tornado. <laughs> the, the, right, right, the, the one with the, the the pot on her head. You know? Yeah, exactly. That one. It could have, it could have been that. You know, just the fact that, you know, okay, I don't have to labor in the independence for five more years. You know, because I, yeah, I, I did that, and yeah, I was glad I did. It was a great learning experience, but it was like moving up from the farm leagues. You know, you know, I, I moved from the Clippers to the Yankees or something like that. You know, um, so. Add to the fact that, you know, working on a character like this, um, you know, I, I was just the, 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 the bright-eyed newcomer. I almost felt like I was Kyle in some ways, you know. Um, I, it just still surprised me to this day that he has the following that he has. Now, keep in mind, this was the mid-'90s. There were gimmicks all over the place. I mean, not just with characters, but with how books were marketed and, and – uh, the uh, hologram hollow foil covers and and you know uh, die die cut covers and all you know it was just that that was that was the industry so you know you had a lot of here today gone today elements and the idea now of course we never approached Green Lantern as if it was just another gimmick you know we we approached it pretty much the way we, we did anything we just you know we're we're professional we want to treat it that way with that same respect so I think. That's one of the things that that added to Kyle's longevity is that you know we didn't uh, we didn't approach it as just a, oh this is you know just another '90s gimmick and uh, he'll be you know out of the picture before you know it. Um, now that being said, some of the original rejected costume designs for Kyle those were <laughs> those were extremely '90s and dated, which I think I'm going to collect into a sketchbook uh, sooner rather than later, so people can have a good laugh on what the Kyle we we might not have had and, and you'll be thankful that we did <laughs> as, as, as somebody who's one of one of his first comics was union number zero with a hollow foil cover <laughs> i look forward to that sketchbook <laughs> are you telling us that kyle was going to look like like dazzler or something like that <laughs> he he was going to have just you know 
uh, I mean, he would have been right at home with with uh, with cable and and and, <laughs> and uh, something from Image, possibly, you know, uh, which made no sense for a Green Lantern to have that much uh, little pieces all over him, you know. But <laughs> but you say you know, it's, it's, I remember I really pushed for a particular costume. And uh, my editor, uh, Kevin Dooley, was like, you'll be thankful that you don't have to draw this t- for 22 pages a month. He says, you will thank me later that we kept this simple. <laughs> like anybody like, who gets ah, hired. Well, if you insist. Yeah. yeah, like anybody who gets hired to do Jack of Hearts. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I hear, I hear a rumor that anybody who draws Jack of Hearts asks for more money. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you mention that. I did a, I did a con sketch of him. He's, he's not that hard to draw. You, you know who's surprisingly one of the toughest characters to sketch, in my opinion? Spider-Man. I always thought Spider-Man because you've you've got to get if you get the webs wrong in in your, in your foreshortening, it just looks so off, you know. Oh yeah, it, like perspective, like if his arms pointing backwards, but if he's a certain way, you got to do all that just right. I I even noticed some artists don't even scallop the webs. It's almost like they're just, you know, like they're just in straight lines, like or they're making them really asymmetrical. I'm like, yeah, I see what you're doing because. <laughs> Doing it, doing it even and measured like John Romita Senior or Ditko did. That's kind of hard. <laughs> Interesting. I have a, my question's more obscure. Uh, I do have a specific one later on, but I, I t- t- when I was planning for this in my mind's eye, just all these general questions popped into my head, especially because I don't like I don't like being repetitious since we did interview both of you guys. Uh, so this is for both of you. You can approach it from the writing and from the dra- the drawing perspective. What's a character that probably would surprise people that you either enjoyed writing or drawing? Beyond, I mean, obvious, so beyond the obvious, you know, the usual suspect, somebody who you know, people might not think that you really enjoy drawing or writing, but you kind of did for and for whatever reason. Hmm. Uh oh, I stumped him. Bad, bad question. <laughs> that's that's what you call a good question. I, um, it is. I mean, for me, it was it was just it was cool to have the Titans interact with Kyle and actually have Kyle sort of be in the Titans for a while. Um, because one of the, you know, one of the big influences on me starting to, you know, want to write comics was, um, um, was, you know, coming back to comics, like, you know, at the end of high school, uh, I got lured in by, you know, Wolfman and Perez Titans. So I always had a real soft spot for that that book and those characters. And even though this was a different version of the Titans with, with different characters, it was still, you know, it was still kind of cool to, to, you know, play with a concept that, um, that I was a fan of. And, and that was one of the things that brought me back into comics when, um, you know, when, when I had been away for a number of years, you know, uh, you know, chasing girls and going to parties in high school and stuff like that. Um, so, so that was, uh, you know, that was actually a pretty cool, um, a pretty cool reward within, I guess, really the first year of doing the book is that, that I, you know, I got to write the Titans. Nice. I think looking back, what I think of a character that I ended up liking better having drawn him was Alan Scott. Cause you know, growing up, you know, as a kid, you know, I first see him like he's the green lantern, but he's got a red tunic and the purple cape and all that i thought this guy is colorblind you know but <laughs> for some reason just as as i got to get a handle on his character and who he is because I, I, I love the 
wizened veteran type characters, just in anything. You know, the one that that's been there, done that, and you know, the the younger ones need to to pay attention. It's almost like I think about Alan Scott more than him as Green Lantern. And and the more I got into that type of character, I I just enjoy liking it. Plus, that with the with the cowl and the cape, it kind of uh, gives me a Doctor Strange vibe, which you know I've always liked Doctor Strange. So, um, yeah, that my connection to him definitely grew over time. Would Would you say that would be the classic costume or more like the Sentinel area? Or are you just talking like Alan in street clothes hanging out with Kyle at Radu's or something? No, I mean him and his classic Martin O'Dell design. Okay. That's actually, you know, it's actually one of my favorite panels in all of Green Lantern history is when like in Alan's origin, it's like, you know, if I must be here, I must make myself a dreaded figure. And then the next thing you see is him standing there with his hands on his hips in this garish costume. <laughs> like, That's dreaded. <laughs> the dreaded costume, the dreaded figure. Uh, well, it, would, it would make sense, like if any, whoever came up with that, whoever decided to go out in public like that, oh my, we gotta be scared of this guy. <laughs> well, what, one thing also about Alan Scott is his oath. It seemed like it was like there was a part one, like he always rest- recites. Oh yeah, there's like, an the ellipsis. Second half, but... like, and I shall shed my light over dark evil. Well, what's the first part? Do you know, <laughs> you know, this is kind of like, how does the whole thing go? You know? <laughs> uh, kind of along the same lines of Mark's question, but this is actually a little bit more geared towards you, Ron. A lot of listeners of the show know, like, I'm a classic overthinker, and I do like to like do some creative writing in my spare time and stuff. So I have to ask, when you're writing a character. Uh, really in any comic, it is, it, it, you, you could you take Kyle as an example or, or anything. How much research do you do? Because just as an example, Hal Jordan, he's a test pilot. To my knowledge, nobody who's ever written Hal Jordan has been a test pilot. So how do you put yourself in the headspace, whether it be their job or an aspect of their personality or whatever, to to to, to kind of align with them and write with their voice? Is it is it a simple matter of just research, or do you just kind of get the general idea and kind of write and hope for the best? Um, this might come as a shock, but sometimes we just make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, you know, I, I, I try to do as much research as I can to make whatever I'm writing seem reasonable and legit um you know nobody's nobody's interested in the, in the intricacies of being a test pilot in a superhero story but you want it to be you you want it to have a veneer of truth uh, <clears throat> uh you want it to have a veneer of truth so that the reader accepts the story that you're telling um so my you know my rule of thumb was with um with reference whether it's comic book research or uh, or just you know the real world is you know do enough research that you can um, that you can convince the reader that you know what you're talking about, um, which is usually less than the full research you would do than you would need to you know write an academic paper or something. Um, it's uh, you know it, again it's the you know it's sort of the um, uh, it's the veneer of truth uh, that you want uh, because as a writer, you don't, you also don't want the audience 
stumbling over, hey, look at all these details that I uh, that I put in my book to make you to, to make sure that you knew that I did this research. Um, you can drop in a thing or two here or there naturally to make it feel real. That's great. But if you start beating the reader over the head with it, that you know too much research just yanks the audience out of the story. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And and Daryl, with you, I mean, obviously you're on the art artistic side of things. How much when you place them in a city like New York? Just you, you since you brought it up, when when you're writing, how much of that do you throw in? Like, you know, I got to make it look all like New York, or do you take maybe like the bodegas down on the ground and have some fun with those, or do you try to make those big splashes or or anything like that look more authentic? Like rather than putting in. A, a New York City landmark that Kyle's walking by in a particular panel, you opt to put in like a, I don't know, the only thing I can think of just because it's on TV, Big Belly Burger, you know? <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. Because, you know, DC Comics, at least then, was located in New York, I knew that if I faked it, you know, they could just look outside their window and tell. So I thought, <laughs> you know, if, if I don't get this right, readers are going to know. And the company's going to know, and they're just going to find someone that can get it right. So I, I did, you know, endeavor to, to the best of my ability at the time to, you know, to make sure that, you know, if they're in Central Park, it feels like Central Park, or if they're in Rockefeller Center, it looked like Rockefeller Center, you know, because it was to me it just felt like an or else, you know, if if someone in New York was doing a, a comic based on, you know, the Ohio State University, well, I know what that looks like. It's kind of like. Yeah, you can't just have stuff arbitrarily appearing. It's it's got to feel, you know, not so much we're looking for photorealism, but you know, like like Ron said, you, it's got to feel believable. And so I, I felt with something like New York, um, it's it's very specific. You know, I can't replace the the statue of Rockefeller Center with, you know, I, I don't know, uh, some other type of <laughs> with statue, something you know. easier to draw. Swap it out with something easier to draw or something, but uh, yeah, I mean the thing thing that kind of sucks about it is is that you know I can kind of fake my research. Daryl can't, you know. (laughs) His is his has got to be on the page. Mine, I can sort of work around. Daryl, how much did you blame Ron for placing it, replacing it in New York City? No, I, I loved it. Because like I said, remember, I hadn't been there yet. So right. it's like if I draw it well enough, they'll want me to come visit. And, you know, it's like my art will, will like kind of blaze a trail for me to, to you know, to get there, which, which it did. So, no, I, I loved it. Plus, you know, even when with my early work, you know, I used to draw my, one of my first comics I ever worked on was a Western. So, you know, I can't, to this day, I can't draw a horse completely out of my head. So I, I'm used to, you know, balancing reference with, with what I draw. And, and, you know, I used to teach. That's one thing I used to tell my students is that if you really make stuff up that should be referenced, it'll be so apparent and that, that'll do you no favors. You know, it's part of our job is to, you know, and of course now with, you know, you can access the Internet with your smartphone. I mean, you don't have to just you know, go and buy a book, you know, for every little bit of uh, reference. It's it's so easy to come by. There's really no, no excuse not to be able to get, you know, some accuracy to certain things. Okay. For yeah. sure. Yep. My turn. Okay. Let's try, let's try to phrase it. I'm, I'm, this is the question I want to ask, but I'm trying to phrase it in such a – in the proper way here. Um, 
Don't hang up, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not bad. It, but when I say it, you'll understand. Like now, I'm being I'm being Chad asking overthinking, which it's it's Mark S too. It's not like he's got a monopoly on this. Okay, so here's the here's a parallax question here, because because okay. I I mean I think we've all, we've talked with Ron and obviously Daryl and I have talked a lot too about parallax. I love parallax as a character. So however you want to approach this, it's your it get carte blanche, but as far as I'm concerned, I think Chad's in the same boat that we think of all the incarnations we've seen of Parallax, it makes sense, obviously, since you created him, that you guys got something. You got him in a way I don't think many others have even come close to. So what do you think about, as a character, what do you think you saw in Parallax or you guys brought to Parallax that maybe others have kind of either maybe missed or maybe just a unique quality you brought to it, regardless of how anybody else has brought to it, what you brought to the table. Because we think you guys brought something special to it and to him, and when he does show up on occasion, it just kind of is a reminder that how special it was when you guys were doing it. That's an easy one. That's an easy one. I, I just want to jump in. The biggest problem I saw when anybody else was handling Parallax is they didn't understand he's not really a villain. He's just frustrated. You know, to me, uh, if you've ever seen that movie with Michael Douglas, uh, Falling Down, or if you've ever uh, ever been in a job situation where, you know, you train somebody and that person you train gets the promotion before you, that's just going to grind your gears until you're going to, after a while, it's just going to be too much. To me, that's what Parallax is. But, you know, trying to have him like, oh, you know, he's just a straight out of central casting supervillain, that's not right. Makes sense. Uh, I, you know, I, yeah, I never really thought of Parallax as a villain. I thought of him as an anti-hero, certainly, and a, as an antagonist, but never really a villain. Uh, I mean, in 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 that era, the the rule of thumb was that that you know Marvel Marvel had better villains than DC because Marvel villains wanted to take over the world. And DC villains, by and large, wanted to rob banks. <laughs> um, and and I think that's you know that's that sort of evolved over the years. But um, I think again, you know, Parallax was really kind of a Marvel style villain in that he, or or at least you know, I guess you can consider him a villain because he was against the heroes. But uh, it, it's it's the same. To me, I looked at him as as I think of Magneto. Uh, Magneto is convinced of the righteousness of his cause, and he is uh, in no way, shape, or form thinking that he's the villain of the story. Uh, he thinks he's right and everybody else is wrong. Uh, Hal's Parallax had very much the same view. Um, he was uh, he was convinced that his point of view was the right one and everybody else's was wrong. And in a certain way you could sympathize with that. And in a certain way you could see his point. Um, you know, the, the rule of thumb is that, that villains have to be the heroes of their own stories. They can't just be, they can't just be evil for the sake of being evil because, you know, that's boring and, and kind of cardboard. Um, if the villain of your story thinks what he's doing is right, that's a lot more interesting. Um, and that's absolutely how 
I approached Hal in terms of, of whenever he was on stage. Um, I wanted the reader to sympathize with him. I wanted the readers to even feel like, well, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe he's you know, maybe he's right, and I should be rooting for him. Uh, to me, that that brings a lot um, a lot more layers to the story than uh, than just uh, you know bad for the sake of being bad. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's a good point because you know one of the things I always think about. Uh, about with re- regards to you know what we call classic parallax now is like things like zero hour like if DC I mean we know they have their else worlds but if DC had their own sort of what if comics I'd like to see a what if zero hour you know what if he actually pulled it off if the universe he made was better if he was able to do it like and the fact that I could even think that and go, I want to see if Hal can do it, means I empathize with him enough to go, maybe he can, and maybe he's right. <clears throat> when you think about it, really, was there a time where Parallax was plotting to harm people? Like, you know, I'm, I'm making the Parallax bomb and it's going to blow up this orphanage. You know, he was never this twirly mustache, I'm going to hurt people and, and thus the heroes have to stop me type of situation. No, he always was yeah. working for he always was working for a greater good. And if people had to get hurt, it was like making the omelet concept about the few eggs. But even in Zero Hour, his plan was pretty much to bring back almost every, pretty much everybody that he wiped out anyway. Mm-hmm. And regarding I mean, what Ron said, I agree. And there was something Ron said that as soon, as soon as he was saying it, I had this. I was picturing this in my head regarding, like you said, about how about about you know that you can't really. You have to see yourself as the hero of your own story or else you wouldn't do some of the things that you do along those lines. And one of the things I always remember, one of the panel I mean, to stand out stands out a lot to me was from Green Lantern Zero when, when Kyle and Hal are having the conversation. And Hal's just kind of saying that, you know, basically that I have to get the power back to be able to set things right because if I don't do that, basically if I don't erase all the mistakes that I've made, then I'm not going to be a hero. I'm going to be one of the bad guys. And that's one of the things I always remember about Parallax. Is that, is like that, that moment of recognition when it's like, I if I don't if I don't do this, then I am going to be a bad guy because of where I am in the process. So it's like he has to keep going forward because that way he can kind of you know the Parallax mantra, you know, just uh, to uh, to set things right, you know. Mm-hmm. So for sure, one of the things we wanted to ask, just since we're getting towards the end of this, we don't want to keep you guys too long, was. And I know it's kind of hard to just throw this out there and just suddenly come up with something. But you guys, uh, you know, you work together so long, and then now when you guys are appearing at cons together, you sit next to each other. You 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 guys have a great friendship, and you know, a lot of, of uh, we don't want to get into your private, you know, when you when you guys have a friendship and you just want to just have conversations between yourself. But when you guys talk about the, your days on this title and kind of reminisce, what are some of the stories you guys? You know, just get together and laugh about stuff that maybe we may never read in a you know introductory panel to a to a to a trade paperback or or something like that. What are some of the things you guys are fond uh, fond memories of? We we talk about how Ron talked me into being a fan of the New York Giants, and I question that decision to this day. Even though <laughs> as I stand here, I have my number ten Peyton uh, Peyton Manning's brother's uh, jersey on. Because I'm like, should I say, yes, Eli Manning, yes. I'm, right now I'm wearing my Eli Manning uh, jersey, and I'm thinking, this could this year be our year? And this is Ron's fault, because I used to be a Bengals fan, but uh, 
That was a wise uh, choice, though, switching the truck. <laughs> right. There's Good a job, single behind right now against Houston, so. It's, it's worked out just fine for the last decade, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 this is going to be our season. This is going to this is going to be it. Ben McAdoo, he's got the plan. It's, it's going to work. It's going to work. Yeah, well, you might end up playing uh, left tackle before the season's <laughs> over. Uh, I, you know, I, honestly, when I mean, and we we did the book together for a long time. Uh, you know, runs of that length don't really uh, don't really happen that much anymore in comics. Um, but uh, you know, part of that is when you're when you're doing when you're doing a book together for that long, the vast majority of the time you're working. Um, and you know, yeah, we chat on the phone a lot and swapped emails, but, um, uh, what we do, um, individually is a pretty individual thing. Um, it's not like, um, you know, when I was at CrossGen, we we're all in the same building and, you know, the, uh, uh, the artists and writers kind of sat around together and, and, uh, you know, went out for beers together because we're all in the same location. Being a freelancer and being scattered all across the country or even scattered across the globe is a pretty individual pursuit. So there were only a few times when we were actually in the same place at the same time. I, you know, Daryl came to New York one time, um, came to, you know, came up to my house. We went over to, the sh- to a show in Boston. Um, you know, d- during that era, there were not the sort of, you know, four major conventions across the country every weekend of every month uh, that we have now. So um, we didn't, you know, we didn't see each other that much, even though we were, in, we were in contact all the time, but we weren't hanging out all the time because um, we were, you know, we were doing the work. Um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why we, you know, we, why we had a long run is because uh, there weren't the conventions and distractions that, that um, interfere with schedules now. Um, it was a, you know, it was a different era and, uh, more often than not, you were home doing the work. Um, now if you wanted to be, you could be at a different convention. I mean, literally every weekend, except for maybe, uh, maybe Christmas. Uh, that's, that's about it in terms of when, um, when the convention season, uh, stops. So, um, I, I, you know, I think in a funny way, we, in the last few years, we've probably seen each other more the last few years at different conventions than we did while we were actually doing the book. That is true. That is very true. Um, yes. and, and obviously, you know, going to, um, uh, you know, going to conventions and sort of being able to get together and hang out and, and, you know, have people, uh, show up and, and, uh, and talk about the book, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, it's nice that, um, what we did still resonates with, with people. That's yeah, that's definitely a, a good point because one of the final things I wanted to ask you before we wrap up and, and kind of go over what you guys have coming out and, and stuff like that. One of the things I wanted to ask is, well, just to preface this for, for both you guys and, and listeners, Mark and I are not naive. We know that the comic book industry is, is, is its own animal and maybe isn't meant to be reviewed in quite the same way as movies or TV shows and stuff like that. So we know when we say things and we talk either positively or negatively about these comics, uh, 
we know that there are people behind them. There are not just the artist, the writer, the anchors, and so on, the colorist, and letter, and so on and so forth, but we don't know anything about the industry ourselves. So we can't say if there's an issue that we have with a certain comic and go, well, that's the editor's fault or that's so-and-so's fault because we don't know what the process is. So when we critique these books, we're doing it only from our point of view. As fans, what we know about the characters, history and continuity and so on and so forth. So when I have a chance to ask questions like this, Mm -hmm. I like to do it. And one of the things I wanted to ask you guys is, Ron, I know you're, you're, you've written both for DC at the time that we're speaking of, and you're writing comics more in the modern era as well. So when we read comics and look back fondly on the era like Kyle Rayner, one of the things I like to point out is the, the personality moments, the character moments. When Kyle goes out on a date or you know has an interaction with Radu that's just a fun little conversation, it's just a part of his everyday life. Uh, and isn't really connected to a major story arc. It's just its own little thing um, that we don't get those that much anymore. It just seems like it's story arc after story arc after story arc, and there's no breather <laughs> issues anymore. And one of the things I want to know is, do you think that comic fans are right in being sort of critical of not having those moments anymore? Or do you think we should just, I mean, just to be completely blunt about it, just grow a pair and say, you know what, the industry has changed and the way it's published is changed. And those moments are not a good use of the real estate. I think that the, I bet the things that you were mentioning happen, but that maybe not in a big two, but I almost guarantee you those type of personal stories are happening, you know, in the independence or in the creator owned things, because, uh, you know, people write what they know, they write what they feel, and, and what you're mentioning resonates with a lot of people. I, I don't think that it's gone. You just may not see it in your DC and Marvel the way you used to. But I guarantee you there's there's some book out there that does uh, tread on those waters. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think uh, obviously that, you know, the medium evolves as as we go. Um, I think the the storytelling unit um, when we were doing Green Lantern was very much the series. You kind of had a little bit more free reign in what you were going to do within your series and there were there were crossovers and there were things that editorial wanted you to do but to great extent we we were able to chart our own course and, and tell the kind of stories we wanted to tell. Um, I, I think comics have evolved and, and when I say comics I mean big two superhero comics now, because I think that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, comics have evolved into um, a state where now the storytelling unit is much more likely to be the universe than the individual series or even the individual issue, um, because everything is so intertwined and interconnected because publishers want you to read everything. Um, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's, the, it's the sense of the endless crossover um, between so many different titles, um, and it's I think it's it's lessening uh, at DC right now because they've they've sort of let the let the books go off on their own and breathe a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's a different. You know, we go through the, the pendulum swings back and forth in in different ways. Um, so, so we go through eras where there's you know there's more central control and 
there's there's more interaction between all the titles, and then we go through periods when there are less. Um, and, and frankly, one of the other factors is that you know big two superhero comics are much more editorially controlled now than they were when we were doing Green Lantern. Um, and it's you know it's a logical progression because most of these characters and franchises are multi-million or even billion dollar franchises at this point because of the the growth in media um both television and movies with superhero characters you know in 20 years ago when we were doing green lantern we kind of do whatever we wanted um within reason uh, mm-hmm. they you know they we just sort of uh would you know they'd bump us back into the middle of the road if we strayed too far but generally we got to tell the kind of stories we wanted to tell because you know, it's a comic book, and how many, you know, how many dollars, you know, how many dollars comparatively was it generating? Now these, you know, now these franchises are literally million and billion dollar propositions. So uh, there's more oversight, there's more, uh, you know, there's more editorial involvement, uh, there's more brand consciousness. Um, and I'm not even saying that's better or worse. It's just a reality of where we are as a business that there are other factors involved in you doing your comic book series than than just hey, you know, you know, it would be a cool story to tell. Um, <clears throat> and there are certainly venues where you can still do that, but you know, franchise characters at the, is not really one of them. Um, that's just that's just the reality. You can you can you know rail against it all you want, but um, there's you know there's an awareness that that there's you know these things are um, are big money entertainment properties, and once that is uh, once that's apparent to everybody, you're going to have more people looking over your shoulder. Um, so I feel very lucky that we got to do what we did on Green Lantern without a whole lot of supervision. Um, you know, there were very few stories that, that I wanted to tell and I didn't get to tell. And there were very few things that were forced upon me that I, you know, that I didn't agree with. Um, it was a, it was a give and take relationship with, uh, with editorial and management for seven years on the book. And I think everybody overall was pretty pleased with, with how it all went down. Now keep also keep in mind that, you know, when we came on the book, the sales weren't that great, so you know the bean counters didn't care what we did. They just wanted you know do something, change something. You know it was an eyelash away from you know consideration for cancellation. So you know they, we had free reign, uh, well pretty close to it, to really experiment because you know what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> the sales would go up. So I, I think that yeah, helped that, a lot also. That really is where you get the most rope. Is when you're, you know, when nobody's paying attention to the book, you, you know, you get a lot more free reign because, well, you know, if you're selling, you know, twenty thousand copies or twenty three thousand copies, who cares? Um, it's, you know, it's kind of a blip on the spreadsheet, which is actually something that that Jim Starlin told me when I initially got into the business, which he said, you know, go seek out the books that aren't selling very well because you get to do more of what you want. Um, you get to tell your story as opposed to, um, you know, having somebody looking over your shoulder, uh, you know, as it, as the saying goes, you know, uh, 
<clears throat> success has many fathers and failures and orphans. If they think your book's going to fail, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to. You know, nobody wants to have their name in the credits. Uh, so, Green Lantern was not doing well. They weren't happy with the direction of the book, and that was, to a great extent, the reason we got brought on and sort of handed what became Emerald Twilight. You know, here do this, change this book because we, you know, we're not enthused about where it's headed. So we got to do something fairly drastic. Uh, and just make up a bunch of stuff from the ground floor uh, because the book wasn't working as it was as it was conceived at that point. Um, so, you know, as with all things from the, you know, kind of from the ashes of failure, you get a chance to, you know, you get a chance to 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 build something else. Yeah, because you, you get the reins. Let's say you get the reins from somebody else whose sales are doing relatively well. Then the mandate is, all right, keep these numbers up or get them higher. Whereas if it's in the toilet, if what you do works, all they tell you is, I'm assuming, keep it up. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, it seems to be working. Have fun. <laughs> it's it's kind of like the, that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, that's very much the case. It's it's uh, you know, if, if look, it's a it's a business. Um, yeah. If the book sells, you get to do what you want. If the book doesn't sell. Somebody else gets to do what they want. Um, and, you know, and thankfully, we, you know, we knew Emerald Twilight was going to sell. That was, you know, that wasn't the issue. That wasn't the that wasn't the assignment, really. That was going to be a, you know, a, a, a big deal, controversial thing. And and people were going to show up for it. The, the the real job was to keep those readers who are going to show up for Emerald Twilight uh, and, you know, keep them with. Uh, with Kyle taking over with this new character we're gonna we were gonna introduce and um, we ultimately found out that we we kept a lot of those readers uh, it was you know it was seen as a ground floor sort of introductory read for the DCU and and certainly for me that was very much what it was as a creator because I hadn't worked extensively at DC before and and I really wanted to explore the DC universe and play with all the toys that I get my hands on Awesome. Well, uh, before we go, we wanted to give you guys both an opportunity to uh, to pitch your upcoming works. If you got anything, you know, planned for the upcoming month of October, or uh, anything beyond that, or any con appearances you have going on. So, uh, Daryl, just starting with you, what do you got coming up uh, going going forward? Well, convention wise, I. I... <laughs> I do so many shows. <laughs> I, 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 I bet I have something in October. I, I, I almost average a show a month. So, um, but mainly uh, uh, work-wise, you know, I'm still doing a lot of graphic arts and uh, comic-wise. Uh, Rod and I have been uh, developing uh, some material for uh, Kickstarter. With uh, you may have seen some of our work from Harkins Raiders, the World War II uh, adventure story, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, there could be. Other things coming out as maybe too soon to to to, to reveal, <laughs> but just stay tuned. You know, stay tuned to this channel, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you'll 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 be you'll be glad of what you uh, what you find out. Nice, cool, Ron. What do you got coming up? Um, let me see. If we're if if this is going to come, if we're going to release this. Uh, in what early November did we say? Uh, or early October, the the day early before. October. Yeah, so early October third. Yeah. Uh, uh, early October. I don't know. I, you know, I've got appearances lined up, and I 
can't keep them straight until I actually have to go to the airport and get on the plane. <laughs> uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I know I'm going to be in uh, Mexico City at La Mole in uh, November, early November. Um, and there's a few other shows in October, but I can't remember where they are, which I'm sure the promoters will be really happy about. Uh, so let's see. Let's 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 actually open the schedule so I don't I don't well, uh, st- stay tuned to our Twitter pages. <laughs> you know, we, we uh, always yeah. I'll be, I'll be at uh, I'll be putting an appearance at uh, New York Comic Con, even though that's kind of a madhouse, and uh, I, I'm doing a uh, a signing at uh, Comic Depot in. Um, Saratoga Springs for um, a special book that we're doing with, I guess I can say this, Death Wish Coffee. Uh, that's October 14th. Uh, I'll be in Las Vegas on October 21st. And then back in Saratoga Springs on October 28th for uh, uh, Comic Depot's annual celebration. And then the weekend after that, uh, Mole in Mexico City. Um, which means I guess I'm not home for like six weeks, six weekends in a row. So um, that maybe wasn't the best planning on my part. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally uh, popular. Um, well, you know, the, look, the, I'll be honest. A lot of the American shows are the same show because it's the you know it's the same vendors and this you know right. the same guests and stuff like that. But and and you know they're they're a really they provide a really nice opportunity to see some place that you haven't been before like Daryl mentioned Cincinnati and I did that show a few years ago and it was cool just to be in Cincinnati and walk around downtown and and you know kind of get a flavor of the city for a couple of days um, but the international shows are just terrific opportunities to go someplace where you probably would never would never be otherwise so I always take advantage of those um, when the offers show up Um uh, work-wise, I am the uh, I am the editor in chief of Ominous Press, which is uh, publishing through IDW. Uh, I'm also writing two series for Ominous uh, Dread Gods with Tom Ranney. Um, second issue of that uh, just came out uh, this week, which will be a couple of weeks ago, but we actually put this up. Um, and then I'm doing another series called Demigod for them, and I'm editing the Bart Sears Giant Killers series. So that'll be, you know, that's a book a month through IDW. Um, I'm going to take over writing Fathom for Aspen. Uh, that'll start in, I believe, February of next year. Um, as Daryl said, he and I are doing this uh, uh, sort of indie Kickstarter book called uh, Harkins Raiders, which is a World War II story. For Van B Productions, uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing another book for Ominous called uh, Beast of the Black Hand, which is being drawn by Matthew Dow Smith and um, conceptualized by uh, Paul Harding, who's a sculptor at DC Direct and Gentle Giant, and a number of other places. Um, so, and there are a couple of other things that are out in the ether that I can't talk about yet, including. Uh, one that we haven't announced, but that Daryl will be drawing. Um, so yeah, I guess check both of our Twitter feeds for that announcement in the near future. But it's uh, I got to say it's nice to be working with Daryl on a superhero book again, and uh, uh, we'll tell you more about that when we can actually talk about it. Nice. When's the, where's the best place to keep track? Is it would you just be Twitter, or do you all have a, a specific websites you want people to check? 
for those. Twitter's a great place because um, uh, you'll get it from both of us that way. You know, it's uh, yeah, quick hits on Twitter, and at some point I'll actually um, you know get my uh, get my website uh, updated and, and uh, you know a little more uh, a little more fleshed out with uh, some some different aspects to it. Uh, but for now, yeah, pay attention to Twitter, pay attention to ominouspress.com. Um, you know, it's we're in the social media age. Everybody can find everybody. Yeah. Well, before we go, it's a trade paperback. It's Green Lantern. Kyle Rayner hasn't had his stories in print for a while, so it's a fair bet most people are going to get it. But if anybody's on the fence, what would you guys tell them to get them to go pick it up tomorrow in the in their LCSs? Buy it anyway. It's uh. It's uh, it's 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 great. You'll love it, and it'll make a great Christmas gift. There, there you go. <laughs> um, same, same uh, yeah, what, what? Uh, I don't know. Mostly buy it for Daryl's art. I mean, it's he's he's pretty good, you know. Uh, and and I think if there's, uh, look, if there's if there's if I'm being honest about the stuff we were sort of learning as we went and kind of feeling our way, but um. I think if there's anything that I, you know, when the when my box of comms showed up and I looked through the look through the issue, the the thing that I um, the thing that really came out of it for me was that um, I had a really good time writing those issues. I had a really good time writing stuff for Daryl, and and you know, number one on the list was just the fact that we got such a great uh, gift in. Being able to create our own character and build him from the ground up as we wanted to, but to have all the trappings of this, you know, of this great DC cosmic franchise, and then to be able to go, you know, to go kind of romp around the DC playground with our with our new guy. It's a, it's a very rare uh, thing to be able to get um, to get your cake and eat it too in comics. You usually have to. You know, if you're if you're doing something brand new, you've got to really work to find the audience and hopefully bring people in, and and that's a different challenge, and that that's great. That's why we all do creator-owned material as well. Um, but we got to um, we got to kind of take a shortcut by introducing what was ultimately you know described to me uh, by more than a few people as a Marvel-style character into the DCU and we got to, we got to grow him. So this first trade paperback is really kind of the, you know, the birth and the growing pains of, of Kyle and the DCU. And, um, you know, hopefully that's a, you know, it's, it's an interesting journey for, for people to watch. For sure. Uh, I don't want to speak for Mark cause I'm sure he'll speak for himself, but before we let you guys go, I just wanted to say, uh, on, on my behalf and, and maybe a lot of, a lot of our listeners who I've spoken with over the years, you know, when things look down in Green Lantern, uh, in terms of, I won't speak to whether the, these current runs or runs that preceded them or anything, but when we get frustrated with some of the things that are happening in the comics, one of the things I like to do is go back and read some of the old stuff. And my go-to is the Kyle Rayner run, because that at that point in, in, in Green Lantern's history, I'm looking back at it and... I'm not seeing like the and laughing at some of the words that were used or the concepts that were used in like the 60s or in the golden age or <laughs> some of the weird uh, artistic choices or whatever made in the 80s or whatever. This is just comics that I can 
you know, <laughs> unclench and read. Uh, and they're fun, they're entertaining, and that's not to say that they're without danger or drama or seriousness. It's just, it's something that I can just pick up, reread, and go, I know there's nothing wrong with this. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> and if there, if there is a small thing that I could point out, it would just be nitpicking, because all in all, I'm having a good time reading this from start to finish. And you guys gave that to not just me, but a lot of other people. And I know we've said it to each of you individually before, but we have to say it again. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for being Thanks, a fan. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's satisfying. Uh, it's, it's nice that, you know, like I said, we work in a vacuum most of the time. Uh, so being able to, you know, being able to hear that um, the stuff that you did meant something to somebody is, you know, is a, is, is always a you know is always a nice bonus. Yes. Like for, like I started reading Green Lantern during that era pretty much. I mean I remember, and, I, and I'm old enough to remember when there were Walden bookstores, but I was working at Walden Books at the time. We've been putting out Green Lantern 50 at the time. <laughs> wow. But but the first issue that I actually bought of Green Lantern going forward, not counting 46, which was the Reign of the Superman you know tie-in, was Green Lantern 51. So I so I have very fond memories of both you guys during that run and and I like Kyle I've I do like Kyle and I actually is one of those I mentioned before on the show it's kind of like a weird way that I kind of have I kind of learned to love Hal via the Kyle era not because I didn't like Kyle just because I became so interested in in Hal as who he was then at Parallax that it made me really become a fan of Hal who he was by going back and reading more about Hal back in the day so I definitely want to thank you for all that and yeah it was, and we love we love having you guys on so when you're ready to talk about your mysterious project you're more than welcome to come back of course fantastic <laughs> well I suspect uh, I suspect we'll be doing that uh, it's uh, uh, it, it's kind of cool and I'm, I'm real happy we're working together on it me too Great. awesome alright guys thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you later okay that was good. See you guys. Thank you very much, guys. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. That's the interview. What would you think, Mark? It went very well, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... I, I, uh, It was a good conversation. I mean, it was was really all said in the interview, but, I mean... You know, you can talk to those guys about the same story 16 different times. It doesn't matter. It's still a fun conversation. And not everybody is like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely true. Sometimes Um, once is enough. (laughs) I'm sick of you. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but... uh, Again, thanks both to, to Daryl and Ron for uh, agreeing to do this. It was a lot of fun. And again, guys, we mentioned it at the beginning. We in- mentioned it in the episode. We mentioned it now. The, the the new trade paperback for this Kyle Rayner series releases tomorrow, October 4th, 2017. So if you're heading into the comic book stores tomorrow to pick up your latest issues – and you haven't yet already pre-ordered and have this comic set aside for you, be sure to snag a copy off the shelves. Because they may have already solicited Volume 2, but 
Whether or not they decide to reprint the entirety of the run depends solely on how things sell. So if you want more Kyle Rayner trade paperback awesomeness and just want to relive those glory days, you got to buy the comic. So if you don't have a local comic shop near you, head on over to Amazon.com or some other seller like that and make sure to purchase one because it's going to be awesome. I love the fact that they're including some of those crossovers. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's it's really going to help a lot of people who are like can't find those in the back issue bins because I was actually able to find quite a few of them in you know my past research, but I haven't been able to find all of them. So I think it'd be really interesting not only to finally read those issues, but there were some issues where Green Lantern, and we're talking later on in the run, where Green Lantern was part of a crossover, but uh, only had like two issues in a five-issue crossover. Like there was one, and you, you may remember this better than I, because you were reading this stuff as it came out. I think it was a Supergirl thing. It was called like the the Siege of Jishran or something like that. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have a time frame? Give it to I don't. Uh, yeah, it was like the Siege of Jishran or something, and it was like a Teen Titans or Supergirl. Uh, maybe it wasn't a Supergirl comic, but I remember her being on the cover of one of them. And I thought that was interesting, just because I had not read all of those because I can't find them all. I found the Green Lantern issues, but I couldn't find them all uh, in terms of the crossover. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but yeah, like things like uh, underworld unleashed reading all that stuff, um, reading that uh, three of a kind comic where there was like one issue that was green lantern. One issue was Gre- flash. One issue was green arrow. And it was like a joint cover of them rescuing people from a cruise ship. Remember that? I think so. Yeah, so seeing how they collect these down in the future would 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 be really interesting, I think. So that would be cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of scrolling through my digital comics library here to see if I, that that cover image jumps out at me of the the Siege comic. But uh, anyways, yeah, it was. Uh, it was really good having those guys on. I really enjoyed talking to them. And, of course, they're they're welcome to come back anytime. We, we love talking to those guys. Yeah, I was just going to say, especially since they were kind of cryptic there, and even without being cryptic, they were going to co- they were going to come back. But since they were being cryptic on purpose, they'll be, they'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> go, go now. That's right. Uh, all right, guys. Um, like I said, tomorrow – Head out to your LCS or go to Amazon.com and buy the first volume of the Kyle Rayner series. And if you got social media and you like talking about the stuff you're reading, feel free to talk about it, share it with friends, tag DC Comics, and let them know you're loving it. Because that's the only, the, the, the voting with your dollars and, and, and telling all the world that you love it is really the only way that they're going to get it into their heads that we want more of this. So definitely do that. All right, Mark, how can people contact us? Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. I know, it's shocking, I know. <laughs> uh, 
Facebook and Twitter. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on both of those. iTunes and Stitcher. Platforms we're on, so leave us positive reviews, please, on one or both. If you listen to us on both, what the hell? Roll the dice. Help us out. <laughs> Give us positive reviews wherever you can. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. So let us know what you think. And if you have any feedback or questions or comments also about issue slash episode 300 as we keep getting closer. Closer and closer, guys. We need feedback for 300. Oh, we're not doing be- it. That's right. We quit. It's, we're going straight from 299 to 301, and we'll get 300 when you guys send us stuff. Okay. 299.2, 299. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, I figured it out. It's the siege of the Z Sharam, and you know, actually, it was the issue right after Parallax View. Oh, okay. okay. Issue issue 65 was Green, Green Green Lantern issue 65 was part two of five in the Siege of Zishram crossover. And then issue 66, nothing to do with it. So Green, Lan- <laughs> Green Lantern 65 was one part of a five-issue crossover. <laughs> so I thought it was very interesting. I'd be interested to see how they collect that, if they do, uh, <laughs> going forward. Smooth, DC! Smooth! <laughs> uh, but anyways. Um, yeah, guys. Send us stuff for episode 300. And as we get closer and closer uh, to, to 300, that uh, that window narrows. So send us as much content as you can. Ask us anything about ourselves, the show, Green Lantern, whatever. Uh, give us suggestions for topics you'd like us to discuss, either in its own episode or Mark and I can just go off on a tangent, I guess, and just kind of, you know, have a brief moment where we talk about a certain topic that you want us to talk about. It doesn't really matter. Send us some content for episode 300. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we would. Or else we'll just Our... be rambling on, as always, with, with guests. Our... That's right. <laughs> the usual suspects. <laughs> Every episode, Daryl Banks and Ron Mars. <laughs> I was more Jim and Dan, but you're right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Alright guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night everybody. Good night. Uh, Mark was looking earlier. Evidently, I don't know if DC solicited it, but according to him, Volume 2 is already up on Amazon, and it shows what's supposed to be in it. Really? Yes. Yes. So do you guys want to know what's going to be in your own book? (laughs) I I would like to know. Uh, (laughs) I have heard nothing. It says it is going to collect Green Lantern 61 to 69, Green Lantern Annual number 4, New Titans 124-125, Dark Stars 34, and Damage 16. Oh. And it's supposed to be out in May, according damage to Damage 16. Finally, Damage 16 gets the reprint it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell, be sure to tell Bill Merriman. It's a friend of mine. <laughs> I don't know if that was one of his issues or not. <laughs> Did Billy do that issue? I'm curious. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs>